is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, which you will find on page 1199. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. This is the word of the Lord. Sunshine's beautiful, but it's sometimes a bit tricky. It's right in my eyes. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this glorious autumn day. And we thank you for the freedom that we have in it to be in your presence, to read your word, and to listen to your voice. Amen. So, this week, I have been thinking quite a lot about foundations. There are experts in the congregation, so I'm a little nervous of a few of the things I have to say, but I'm sure Alistair will be kind and not too critical. This is an artist's appreciation, not a scientist's. But anyway, did you know that the world's tallest building is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai? Did you know that? You might have known. You might also know that it's almost half a mile high, which is extraordinary. But it has foundations that go down 164 feet, and they contain more than 110,000 long tons of concrete. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like an awful lot of concrete extraordinary feats of engineering these days. But something a bit older. The bell tower of the cathedral in Pisa is famous not for its height, but rather for its angle. We know it better as the leaning tower of Pisa, don't we? The foundations were begun for the leaning tower of Pisa in 1173, but the tower began to sink when the builders just got up to the second floor. Because for some reason, they only thought to give it a three-meter foundation, even though it stood on quite unstable ground. 
There were lots of wars and things that got in the way of finishing that building, but apparently they tried to rectify the tilt in 1272. This is fascinating to me. They tried to do it by building one side of the tower taller than the other as they continued to build. So that just made a curved building. It didn't rectify the fault at all. It wasn't until 1990 that a multinational task force of engineers and mathematicians and historians as well, they scratched their collective heads and came up with a plan to stabilize the foundations of the building. Of course, as everybody who watches Grand Designs can tell you, just because you can't see the foundations once the building is complete, it doesn't mean they're not of critical importance. That's right, Alastair, isn't it? It is. In the 19th century, this part of Bath suffered a huge landslide. Now, your expert here is Des. Des and Maureen wrote about this. I read what they wrote. And lots of homes used to be in the park over there, um, Hedgemead Park. But there was a huge landslide, and they fell away. Apparently, this church building survived in part because of its very significant foundations. Now, I spend much of my working week in the crypt of this building, so I know all about the foundations. But as I was planning this morning's service, I reflected that there's a lot more important things for the foundations of a church than the bricks and mortar or whatever you build foundations for a church of. In the fourth century, the philosopher Diogenes said that the foundation of every state is the education of its youth. That's something else that's really important, but you can't perhaps see it in as many words. St. Augustine, who lived in the fourth century also, had something else to say. He asked a question. Do you wish to rise? Begin, he said, by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds. Lay first the foundation of humility. I couldn't help but think of the Burj Khalifa, or even the Shard in London, which is our tallest building, piercing the clouds because they reach so tall. The Burj Khalifa and the Shard, they're both tall, beautiful, graceful, shiny buildings. But they only stand firm because they have deep foundations. What, I wondered, are our foundations here at St. Swithin's? On what do we build our life together in Jesus? Are our foundations deep and secure in spite of the shifting ground of society in which we find ourselves? Will they stand the pressure of difficult circumstances? Are they firm and secure, ready to build upon for God's kingdom? Let's turn back to our Bible reading, if you don't mind following, from Timothy and see what advice the Apostle Paul has to offer us. 
As I'm sure you remember, Timothy was a young disciple, befriended by Paul on his second missionary journey. Paul was very fond of him and thought of him as sort of an adopted son, really. Paul charged him with leading the church at Ephesus and sent him off. And then he wrote him this encouraging letter to give him advice on how he might best lead the church. So, what important piece of advice is he going to the trouble of sending to Timothy to help him with his mission? What crucial strategy will he urge him to deploy first and foremost in his leadership campaign as a young pastor? Well, it's this. Pray. He urges Timothy. He doesn't hint. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't invite. He doesn't even recommend. He urges him. There's a real sense of, well, urgency. A sense of needing to communicate the most important top tip he could think of. He urges him before anything else to get his prayer life sorted out. Prayer is not a finishing detail, a top coat decoration when all the structural things have been put in place. When we've reordered our beautiful building, when we've made the garden pretty, it's not something we come to when all the other issues have been addressed. When we've established a committee to run everything we can possibly think of. It's crucial. It's absolutely of fundamental importance to every Christian person. A vibrant, developing, committed prayer life is vital to any church community. And that is why we've committed this term to studying and practicing drawing closer to God in prayer. We've spent some time considering the examples given us by Abraham, Moses, Nehemiah, and Daniel. And we've seen how utterly honest they are with their God in prayer, even when it's uncomfortable, utterly honest. We've seen that they're all courageous and persistent in coming before God, knowing God's word and knowing his promises and building their lives around them. These awesome warriors of prayer are humble as they approach their sovereign God and they earnestly repent of their sin and the sin of their people as they press deeper and deeper into relationship with God. Does that ring true for you and for me? Does that description describe your prayer life this morning? Paul urges Timothy to pray in this way so that his life might demonstrate God's love and his life might be changed by God's love. He urges him, not simply to pray the Lord's Prayer, although that is a really good prayer, 
but to pray in every way he knows how. To take his requests to God, because nothing is too big for him to handle, and nothing is too small to be below his notice. He urges him to intercede, that is, to come to God on behalf of others. Richard Foster, in his book on prayer, says, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. Our prayers should really be selfless. In our messed up and complicated world, marriages break down, people suffer illness and hardship and live in despair and sadness of many sorts, things that we can't do anything about ourselves. Intercession is a way of loving others. We as God's family, have the privilege of coming before our sovereign God with their needs and their cares. Paul urges Timothy to remember to give thanks to God and to praise him for his goodness. It does us good to focus on the things we have to be thankful for and to praise God. Prayer is such a rich subject that there are libraries full of books about all its different aspects. I left one or two on the warden's table at the back, maybe to inspire you to read. Some of them are rather serious and a bit intimidating. And some of them are enthusiastic and encouraging. Whatever your personal style I'm sure there'll be a helpful book for you. I suspect for as many people as we have in the room, there are just as many different ways to pray. Paul urges Timothy to make it a priority, and therefore, so should we. It might also be that you have been a Christian for the best part of a century and you've been praying away quite happily for most of that time, chatting to God about the things that matter to you, and you've never once read a book about it. That too is wonderful. Do you know what treasure of experience you hold? Have you thought of sharing your experience with someone who is new to the idea? A couple of weeks ago, I had the enormous privilege of praying with a completely new Christian. Someone who had very little idea of what I was talking about when I suggested we pray. It was a very moving experience to see God's love touching someone's life for the very first time. Although there are indeed many books on the subject, it might be but finding a friend or two who can share their experience with you is a far better way for you to learn. We can read about it. We can chat about it. We can ask a friend or a mentor about it. 
But you know, nothing beats actually doing it. If you would like to get to know God better, if you would like to be better at talking with him, then how about setting aside some quiet time regularly to practice doing it? If you're not sure where to begin, why not find a friend or two who feel the same way and begin an adventure together? Meeting once a week or once a month with simply the aim of praying together can be a very uplifting experience. It deepens our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ and it deepens our relationship with God. So, Paul advises us to pray in every way we know how. And not simply to pray for ourselves and our friends and family, but to pray for everyone, including those in government and those in authority over us. That might even include world leaders, I suppose. It might include our MPs, or our teachers, or our bosses at work. And before you start telling me what a ridiculous idea that is, have I even met your boss? It's worth remembering that Paul did not advise this lightly. The emperor he was talking about at the time was Nero, a man renowned for his cruelty, and one who was ultimately to be responsible for Paul's death. Scripture does indeed recommend that we pray for those who persecute us, those who make our lives difficult. It's quite a challenge to pray for someone who's not very lovable, someone who, if you're honest, you don't really like. I once had a colleague who I found very difficult, and, and I was challenged by someone to stop praying about her and to start praying for her. Before long, I found that my attitude towards her changed. God began to show me why she was so difficult, and I began to pray differently. I began to feel more compassion for her. I still didn't like her behavior, but God helped me to show his love to her more. In fact, I started out wanting God quite simply to change her and make my life easier. In the end, God changed me. God's primary focus in our prayer relationship with him is who we're becoming in the process, not simply what we're doing or where we're going. If you have somebody rather difficult in your life, have you considered praying for them? I wonder how it might change our prayers if we pray for those who make our lives difficult rather than praying against them. In prayer, we're not simply bending God's ear, you see. We're touching his heart. We're drawing closer to him and understanding him more. So Paul advises us to pray in every way we know how and to pray for everyone, whether we like them or not. Why should this be? 
Why is it important to get prayer right? Well, verses 3 and 4 give us a clue, I think. It's important to God that we pray because he wants everyone to know and love him, to be in relationship with him. Not just people like you and like me who share our sense of style or cultural or educational background. Not just the people with the same postcode. Everyone. And prayer is crucial. It's a way in which we can be part of God's plan for those around us. When I was growing up, I know that there was an elderly lady in my church who prayed for me faithfully. I didn't talk to her very much as a young person. I wouldn't say she was my friend. But I learned that God had asked her to pray for me faithfully. And so she did. I'm certain that I have a lot to thank that prayerful woman of God for in my walk for Jesus. It could be that you ask God who you might commit to pray for, that they might, might know more of his love and peace in their lives. It might be someone you see every day at the bus stop or in the office. It might be someone you see at church or a neighbour down the road. If you ask him to, God will give you opportunities to share his love and grace with them. He will work in their lives and through yours. Committed, faithful, humble, persistent prayer for those God lays on our heart. I wonder what this church would look like one year from now if every single one of us committed to pray daily for one person that they might know and love God more. Paul reminds Timothy that there is only one God, which no Jew would argue with, but he goes even further. He reminds him of the gospel truth that there is only one mediator between God and sinful man, and that is God's own son, Jesus, who came to live on earth as a man, to die a horrid, undeserved death on the cross, and to rise again in glory, that we might have him to sit at God's right hand and to intercede for us. There was a time when the Jews believed that only they were God's special people. But Jesus came to make sure people everywhere, Jew and Gentile, could once again be in right relationship with their heavenly Father. Paul urges Timothy to pray. To pray in every way he knows how. To pray for everyone, everywhere. There is no longer a special set of people who are the recipient of God's love and care. Because of Jesus' great sacrifice of love, dying once for all upon the cross and rising again to be with his Father in heaven, everyone is welcomed back into right relationship with God our Father. 
everyone can be set free from the chains that bind them when their lives are controlled by sin. Jesus died that we might be free. There is that song, isn't there? Millie often sings and perhaps she'll sing it later for us. He took the shackles off my feet so I can dance. It's a wonderful, joyful song that praises God for the freedom he offers to all men and women everywhere. Paul longs to see men and women everywhere raising holy hands in prayer. Holy hands are hands that belong to a life committed to doing Jesus' will, dedicated to his service. However humble that service is, holy hands belong to holy people. Not so much because we're special, but because Jesus is special. Because he has truly set us free. Do something for me. Hold out your own hands. Look at them. Holy hands belong to you and to me. To conclude then, Paul's best advice to his young friend Timothy, above and beyond any other clever management tip, is to get his foundations right, to learn to pray. Pray in every way you know how. Pray for everyone, everywhere that all men and women, boys and girls, might be set free to dance, to live life in all its fullness, free to live in loving relationship with their Heavenly Father, free to love and to serve Him. This is Paul's advice to Timothy. And as we continue in our season of prayer in this church, It's my prayer for us that we learn to do likewise. Amen.